You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. I recently read a fable about an eagle. A farmer was walking in the forest surrounding his property and he came across a baby eagle that had fallen out of its nest and was injured and so the farmer gently picked up the eagle and took him back to his farm and nursed this baby eagle back to health and then set the eagle down in the chicken coop. And the eagle began to hang out with the chickens. And over time, as the eagle grew up and got older, he acted just like a chicken. He'd walk around with the chickens, he would peck and eat the chicken feed, and and here was this beautiful eagle that acted like a chicken. One day a naturalist came by and he was visiting the farm and he looked over at the chickens and he noticed there was this eagle walking around. And this naturalist was incredulous and he began to pick up the eagle and he wanted to help the eagle learn how to fly and use its beautiful wings. He wanted the eagle to learn to act like an eagle. Well, that fable really could serve as a spiritual parable. I think one of the key issues in Christianity, one of the key issues that you and I deal with, is we don't fully understand and comprehend who we are in Christ. And thus, we don't act like it. Instead of soaring on wings of faith, sometimes we act like spiritual chickens. And we're not living in conformity with who we are in Christ. We're not living in a way that reflects what God has done for us and in us. We're spiritual eagles. In Christ, and yet we don't realize it. And I want to talk about that this morning as we look back in the book of Ephesians. Turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We started this study on Ephesians last Sunday, and we looked at this from an introductory perspective. The first two verses are... Uh, comments of introduction from Paul before he gets into the body of this letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. And we looked at verses 1 and 2, but before we leave this word of greeting and introduction and get into the body of the letter, there's, there's one more insight I want us to see in verse 1. So if you are physically able this morning, I want to ask you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word, which is truth with no mixture of error. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints 
who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause in this moment because we need you so much. Lord, we need you to move in our hearts by your Spirit, to give us the gift of illumination, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see the truths of Scripture, and to give us the gift of inclination, Lord, that that you would bend our hearts toward obedience, that you would bend our hearts toward response. Lord, that we would leave today different than when we walked in. Lord, use your word in the lives of your people to transform us. For the glory and the fame of your great name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week we looked at the author of the letter. We determined that the author was the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter from jail. He was in jail because of his preaching of the gospel. We talked about the recipients. He was writing to the Christians who were in the city of Ephesus and probably surrounding areas there in Asia. We talked about the the format of the letter, the structure of the letter. The first three chapters are doctrinal. The last three chapters are practical applications of those doctrinal truths. But but we also talked last week about the theme of the letter. And I'm going to repeat this every week. So by the time we're done studying Ephesians, we understand what this book is all about. Here's the theme of the book of Ephesians. We experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. That's what this book is about. This is a powerful book. I want to read this quote from R. Kent Hughes. He writes, Ephesians, carefully, reverently, prayerfully considered, will change our lives. It is not so much a question of what we will do with the epistle, but what it will do with us. So keeping that in mind, I wanted again to just look back at verse 1 before we jump into the, the, the next section starting in verse 3 next week. And what I want to do is I want to share with you Two keys to understanding the Christian life. The, these two keys are so important. If you and I are going to understand what God expects from us and, and how we ought to live and what God has done for us and what God is doing in us, you need to understand these two keys. And, and, and these two keys will show up often as we journey through this book of Ephesians. First of all, we need to understand our position our position, or you might say our position in Christ. Look back with me in verse 1. He introduces himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then he wants us to understand who he's writing to, to the saints who are in Ephesus. To the saints who are in Ephesus. Kind of focus in on that word saints. There's a lot of misunderstanding about that word and what a saint is or who a saint is. And I want us to understand the word saints because it helps us to understand our position in Christ. 
Here, very simply, the Christians in Ephesus were called saints. That's the the term that he gives them. The the, the Greek word is hagios. It speaks of one who is set apart. And that's the, the, the basic meaning of this word in this context. You see, when a person is converted, when a person is saved, when a person meets Christ, the Bible teaches that God sets them apart, hagios, as his precious possession. So at the moment you were saved, God set you apart. You became a possession of the Lord. You became His. If you are a Christian, listen to this, and this is a a simple statement, but it's a powerful statement. If you are a Christian, listen, you belong to God. You belong to Him. He's set you apart for Himself. And we need to understand that, that God is the one who makes us saints. God is the one who sets us apart. God is the one who gives us that title. Now again, that word hagios could be translated set apart. It could be translated holy ones. That's what the word means. And that's a problem because you and I understand that in and of ourselves we are not holy Has anyone in here ever disobeyed the Lord? That's a mark against perfection. A mark against perfect holiness. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are not holy in and of ourselves, but that's why the gospel is so wonderful. Because God loves you so much, even in your sin, He sent His only Son, Jesus who left the splendor and glory of heaven, came to this earth, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life as the God-man, and went to the cross to die for you and to die for me. Why did he die on the cross for us? Because we have sinned against a holy God. So Jesus died to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. Jesus died taking the wrath of God, paying our punishment, taking our punishment for us. He died for our sins. So when you are saved, your sins are forgiven based upon the shed blood of Christ. But that's not all that happens. Not only did Jesus come to this earth and obey the Father by going to the cross and dying, Jesus lived a life of complete and perfect obedience. He never sinned, never said anything wrong, never thought anything wrong, never did anything wrong. Jesus was perfect, the lamb without blemish and without spot, so that at the moment you were saved, not only were your sins forgiven, but Jesus gave you his perfection, his holiness as a gift. St. Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin, we got his righteousness, that's called the great exchange. And so because we are robed in the righteousness of Christ, the perfection of Christ, now we are holy ones, we are set apart. And God does all of that. That happened at the moment of conversion. He sets you apart as a holy one. So here's what that means. It means that everyone who is a Christian is a saint. That's the title that God gives you. In fact, over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, the Bible says, When he, when Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, 
and to be marveled at among all who have believed. There's parallelism there. Saints lines up with those who have believed. If you have believed in Christ, you are called in the Bible a saint. Now that's kind of surprising language, maybe, because we've heard the word saint used differently. In fact, over in Roman Catholicism, the title of saint is reserved for certain people that have lived a very pious life and have seen God perform a miracle through them. That's the criteria that the Catholic Church has for those who are named saints. You have to live a certain level of of goodness and righteousness and you have to have performed a miracle before you die. And so that narrows down the field quite a bit, doesn't it? And so only a select group in in their thinking are called saints. But that's not what's happening here in Ephesians. The word saints is applied to all Christians, all the Christians there in that church. In other words, we don't achieve the status of saint. We receive the status of saint. When we are saved, God sets us apart. We are called saints, holy ones, based upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? So listen to me. If you are born again, I was born again when I was nine years of age. If you are born again, you are a saint. That's what the Bible calls you. That is your position in Christ. You are robed in His righteousness. You are a precious possession of God. You belong to Him. You are a saint. Got it? That's your position. Now, this reality highlights the power of the gospel. Think about it. He takes... Weak, frail, imperfect people like me and like you. People who are fallen, far from God, lost in their sin. And he intersects their life by his grace. And he forgives them. And he gives them righteousness as a gift. And he calls them Saints, that is the the power of the gospel. Listen to me. Because God is God, because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus rose from the grave, because he is alive today and mighty to save, he can intersect anyone's life, no matter how far down they've gone, and he can make them a saint. It's good news. It's good news. Sainthood is not something we achieve. It's... It's a gift we receive at the moment of conversion. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this title of saint. Listen to what he says. This may apply to some in this room. Are you a Christian who is feeling rather hopeless about a husband or wife or child or some other relative? You're worried about their spiritual condition. That's what he's saying here. Do you feel that because of their intellectualism or their training or their surroundings... Their conversion to Christ is altogether hopeless and cannot be attempted. In other words, are there people in your life that you believe are beyond the reach of the grace of God? Beyond the reach of transformation? Beyond the reach of of, of hope? Listen to what he says. Remember 
the saints at Ephesus. Yes, and at Corinth. And in Galatia. The gospel is the power of God. It has accomplished mighty things and is still the same. Listen, it can take hold of the most hopeless individual and turn him into a saint. Amen? That's good news. That's the power of the gospel. That God can meet you wherever you are, no matter how far you've fallen, and forgive you and give you the gift of righteousness and call you a saint. That's our position in Christ. Listen, you're not a chicken. You're not a spiritual chicken. You're a spiritual eagle. You are a saint. Which leads to the second heading, and we'll look at this quickly and be done. We've talked about our our position. But how does that show up in our day-to-day living? Let's talk about our practice. Our practice. How should we live in light of the fact that God calls us saints? Look back with me in verse 1. The answer is right here in this first verse of the book. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are, here it is, faithful. Pistois is the word there. Faithful in Christ Jesus. So they're saints by position, but he says these Christians he's writing to in Ephesus are faithful in terms of their practice. They're living faithful Christian lives. And there's some discussion about how this word is to be understood in verse 1. It can be taken in either the passive or active sense. In the passive sense, it means one who is faithful or trustworthy. In the active sense, it can mean someone who is actively trusting another or a a believer. But I believe this word is, is, in the context, in the passive sense. In fact, this word in verse 1 is an an adjective, not a participle. Later on in chapter 1, verses 13 and 19, he uses the same word as a participle. And in those contexts, it means one who is believing, one who's placed their faith in another. But here in this verse, it's an adjective. So it speaks more, I believe, of, of living out a faithful life. Living in faithfulness to God. Living in faithfulness to God's will and God's way. It, it means that if you're faithful, you are reliable you are loyal, you are trustworthy, you are obedient. That's what the word faithful means. So let me give you just a kind of a, a basic definition that sums up all of those thoughts on living a faithful life. To be faithful is to respond to God's commandments and heed his expectations. That's what it means to be faithful. Respond to God's commandments And heed his expectations. Now, back in verse 1. Talked about our position. Saints. That's what God calls us. is our position in Christ. Talked about our practice. We're called, like the church in Ephesus, to live faithful lives. And when you put the words saints and faithful together, the message for us becomes clear. What Paul is communicating here is this. Now that you are a saint, now that you belong to him, 
Live like it. Live like it. You're a Christian, a Christ follower. Live like it. Or, or let your practice, listen, come into conformity with your position. He makes this point later in the book. Look over quickly in chapter 5, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. This word, saints, shows up again. What he says to the church in Ephesus. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among... What's the word? Saints. Now that you're a saint, that's your position. Don't act like a lost person. Don't participate in all the immorality and uncleanness and covetousness. That's not who you are anymore. You're not a spiritual chicken. You're an eagle. Live like it. That's the point that he's making. Now, I'll just give you just three quick words of warning about this. We understand what's really at stake here. When we live lives that are not congruent with who we say we are as Christians... There are three things that could happen. Number one, the world will call us hypocrites. Right? They can look at our lives and say, you call yourselves a Christian, and there's no discernible difference in the way that you live and the way that I live. We know the charge of hypocrisy is used often in reference to Churches and church members. Now sometimes that's a front to keep God at arm's length. That's certainly true. But sometimes the charge of hypocrisy is warranted. The word hypocrite is a Greek word that was used in the first century of drama. It was used of someone who was playing a role. In in, in Greek theater... For someone to portray someone happy, they would put on a happy mask. If they were portraying someone who was going through tragedy, they'd put on a a sad mask. So the actors in the play would put on masks. Hypocritas. And and that word came to be used of people who say they're one thing, putting on a mask. But under the mask, they're living an entirely different way. We're saints. In Christ. But if we live however we want to live, according to the dictates of this world, according to the ways of this world, all the ungodliness and purity all around us, people look at us and say, You don't look like a saint. Doesn't look like you're even trying. You're a hypocrite, and that hurts the witness of the church. Secondly, when we live lives that are not congruent with who we say we are as Christians, our children will probably not take our faith seriously. And this is terrifying. Over in Ephesians 6, the Bible speaks of of parents not exasperating their children. There's a lot of ways to apply that. But I think one way to apply that is to say, don't say to your kids, do as I say but not as I do. Don't convey that to your kids. It's hard for them in their hearts and minds to, to come to church on Sunday and see you singing, oh, how I love Jesus, but there's no Jesus during the week. 
And if they don't see that your faith is important enough to bring into your day-to-day life, they're going to struggle with seeing that it's important for their day-to-day life. If we're not careful, we can teach our kids to put on masks. We want our lives to be congruent with our position in an ever-increasing way so that our kids will take our faith seriously. Amen? Third, when our lives are not congruent with our position, God is not pleased with our lives. In fact, back in Ephesians chapter 5, let me show you what the Bible says there in verse 8. Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 10. The Bible says... At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern, listen, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. God in His grace, His amazing grace has made you a saint. And when you seek... When you don't seek to live in conformity with that in an ever-increasing way, to grow into looking like a saint, God's not pleased with that. And shouldn't it be our aim, perhaps our number one aim, to please the Lord above everyone and everything else? God's not pleased with our lives. And so what I want to do for the rest of this sermon, and we'll be through just very quickly is I want to give you a a checklist of faithfulness. So you might say, okay, Pastor Wade, uh, God's called me a saint in Christ. That's my position. But I I, I want my practice to grow into conformity with my position. I I want to look more and more like Jesus as I mature. Well, let me give you a checklist. Ask you some questions. I want you to seriously evaluate uh, your life in in light of these questions, to ask yourself, am I living a faithful life? Or, or how can I grow in faithfulness to the Lord? And hopefully this won't be the only time you reflect on these questions. Take the sermon notes home, put them in your Bible. Reflect on, on these in your prayer time or maybe in a, a mentoring meeting. Talk about these questions because they're so very important to, to help us to understand. Are we living faithful lives? Question number one. Are you grateful for what God has done for you? You say, Pastor Wade, why would you start with gratitude? Because I believe gratitude is the number one motivation for living the Christian life. You see, you don't earn sainthood. It's a gift from God when you are born again. Amen? And so your faithful living doesn't earn you anything. You've already been named a saint. You've already been forgiven in Christ. You're not earning God's love. He loves you perfectly. You're not earning God's grace. He poured out His grace upon you. Faithful living is not to kind of repay God for what He's done for us or try to earn His favor or attention or love. Faithfulness, obedience for the Christian is in response to what God has already done. It's to to live in a way that says, God, I'm so grateful that you sent your son. I'm so grateful that you intersected my life. 
I'm so grateful that, that you poured out your grace. I'm so grateful that you showed me mercy. I'm so grateful that you love me as much as you do. And in light of that gratitude, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. As a reflection of my thankfulness, I believe that if your gratitude to the Lord is flagging, you're going to have a hard time living a faithful life. Because gratitude is the motivation for Christian living. Secondly, do you know what God expects of you? Do you know what God expects of you? In other words, are you reading your Bible? Do you know what God's expectations are for your life? Do you know His will and His weight for you because you're walking with Him and, and letting Him speak to you daily? I, I think that there's a, 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 a group in, in Christianity, in Christian circles, who are living unfaithful lives, who are living disobedient lives, partly because they don't know better. They don't know what the Bible says. So they're not living it out or even attempting to live it out. Do you, do you know God's expectations for your life? You will, listen to me, you will not live a consistently faithful life if the Bible is not a daily reality in your life. Listen to me, it just ain't going to happen. Bad grammar, good theology. It's not going to happen. If you want to live a faithful life in gratitude to what God has done for you, you better get your Bibles out. And listen to me. 2021, no excuses. There are Bible apps. You can buy a Bible at Walmart. You can go Google the Bible. It's everywhere. Read your Bible. It's of utmost importance. When you begin to read your Bible consistently, it's not drudgery. It's delightful. So you learn more and more of God's expectations for your life and what he's done to help you meet those expectations. Number three, are you obeying his commands? Back in verse 1, Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. There's a lot there. What Paul is saying there is I'm speaking under the authority of God who's called me to this role. He's speaking through me. I'm a one sent by God to communicate his truth to the church. So that title... Apostle, by the will of God, is meant to convey authority. This is the word of God I'm speaking to you. This is the word of God I'm writing to you. It's, it's, a, it's authoritative for your life. And so here's the question. Are you obeying his commands? I heard a pastor say one time that it's not what he doesn't know about the Bible that gives him trouble. It's what he does know. And you say, Pastor Wade, I've got a ways to go in my Bible knowledge. Well, you know some stuff. And just start obeying what you do know. And as you obey what you do know, God will start teaching you what you don't know. Amen? Are you obeying his command? Listen to me. Just simple question. Don't raise your hand. Don't talk out loud. Are there any areas right now in your life of disobedience? If there are, address them. Because we want to be faithful. Number four, 
Are you giving God space to work in your life? Maybe the number one enemy of of spiritual transformation in our culture today is busyness. Frantic activity. Completely full calendars. No margin. And because we're so caught up just trying to live life, just trying to make it to the weekend, right? So we can go be busy on the weekends too. We don't give God space to work in our lives. I read a quote years ago from Paul Miller in a book titled A Praying Life. And he made this comment. It's always stuck with me. He said, if you give God the space, he will touch your soul. For some of you, for some of you, faithfulness is going to mean you're going to give God more space in your life. You're going to carve out more time for the Lord. Spending time alone with Him, letting Him speak into you and minister to you and transform you and draw near to you. And, and we need to give God space in our lives. Amen? Final question. Are you cooperating with the Spirit in the process of sanctification? Sanctification simply means change. So how God changes you to bring your practice into conformity with your position. Sanctification is God making you more like Jesus. And when you were saved, the Spirit of God entered your life. And the Spirit of God is working to transform you from the inside out. The, process is this, or the question is this. Are you cooperating with the work of the Spirit? Illustration that really helps me here is, is this. A farmer plants seed, waters the seed, cultivates, pulls weeds from around the seed, makes, makes sure that it's in a place where it's getting the sunlight that it needs. And that farmer does all of these things to cultivate the seed so that the seed will grow and bear fruit. But a farmer understands, I'm going to do everything I can do, but only God can make this plant grow. I've never met an atheist farmer. Have you anybody ever met an atheist farmer? There may be one out there, I've never met them. Because farmers get it, right? Like, I've got to do the stuff I've got to do, but God's got to come through here if this is going to grow and, and, and reap a harvest. Same way with sanctification. Only God can change us. He's the only one that can transform our lives. But he gives us some means so that we can cultivate the soil of our heart and place ourselves in the right condition for God to grow us. The Spirit is the transforming agent. Here's the question. Are you cultivating the soil of your heart? Are you cooperating with the Spirit of God so that you can be transformed? You see, the Christian life is not about you making yourself acceptable to God. It's about God making you acceptable and then you living faithfully in light of that reality. The Christian life is being who you are. You're a saint. Now act like it. You're a spiritual eagle. Stop acting like a spiritual chicken. And learn to soar on wings of faith. 
Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.